What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagger. This week on the show, we have the 2022 NHRA Rookie of the Year, Camry Caruso. Camry, what's going on? Oh, just getting ready for next season and enjoying the past season. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would have the name or the the title of NHRA Rookie of the Year attached to you? Um, We talked about at the beginning of the year on how it was a possibility, but we really just stayed focused on trying to run a good year and let the cards fall where they fall. But it is, I'm super thankful for the opportunity. It's got to be one of those things that throughout the year is that, you know, like, like you're saying, it was kind of on the table, but it's not something that you're trying to concentrate on because I'm sure that there's a, is your first full time as a touring pro that there's, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on that you're trying to, to grapple with, right? Absolutely. There's so much to it and there's a lot to it that nobody kind of knows until you're doing it, but it's a, your first year is like a pro it's definitely eye-opening, and it is it is really fun. Now we'll get into that a little bit more later. We'll, we'll take some. We'll go in the wayback machine and talk about this. Here is that you know your whole family's been in racing. I've had your dad on the show, and you know I've seen you at the track for years, racing in different classes, PDRA, you know, top dragster and and whatnot. You know, what kind of got you into the racing? When I'm asking that question, is that there's a lot of people out there that have kids that are pros that don't race or they race a different genre. What made you go, you know what? I want to do this drag racing thing. What hooked you into it? Um, my dad and my papa have been racing since before I was even thought of. So it was kind of always the plan. So, so it was something that, you know, you, you don't feel like you were forced into. It's just, you know, a natural thing that you're like, Hey, I, I just, I want to do this. Oh, yeah, no, it was definitely an option. Like, I have a younger brother, and he doesn't race. Um, it's not his thing. So it was always, if you want to, here is a junior. If you don't want to, then that's fine, too. We'll get rid of the junior. So it was definitely my choice, and I've always wanted to race full-time, and thankfully the cards just played out so we could do it. And. I always find it interesting. You see people that kind of come from the racing backgrounds and, and whatnot, you know, you know, like the, the Tommy Franklin and the, their whole family in particular is a good example. What's it like growing up in a racing family like that, where that's pretty much, you know, some people that their, their thing is they go on, you know, family vacations for racing families. It's just, it seems like it's the main focus of everything. What was it like growing up in a racing focused household? It was, I always loved it. I never thought like, oh, I wish we could go on vacation. But um, I, I've i always loved it. And thankfully, my mom has been super understanding about me always wanting to go to the racetrack. <laughs> um, so I was, I feel as if I was lucky to have the opportunity to grow up like that. Now, it was, I always find this interesting when I see people kind of rolling through different classes and, you know, you did, you did some, some top dragster stuff for a while. What, what kind of made you want to go that route? Well, junior dragster is obviously a dragster. Um, and then to move up, we went to super comp and then I wanted to go faster. So top dragster, and then I wanted to go faster again. So top alcohol. And then I wanted to drive my dad's pro mod car. 
And he was like, yeah, you've only driven dragsters, so that's not going to happen. And so 632 was like, okay, here's a stepping point to go from dragsters to door cars. And we were originally going to go mountain motor pro stock racing. And then this 500-inch opportunity came up, and we were like, okay, well, we're pretty stupid not to take it. So that's how we ended up in pro stock. Just kind of, uh, it it wasn't in the plan, but it just kind of happened, right? I've always liked pro stock and I've always thought it was a really awesome class and it would be fun to drive, but I saw my dad driving pro mod. So inevitably that's kind of what I wanted to do. Cause my dad did it. Um, but after his wrecks, he was like, yeah, you're not driving the pro mod. So <laughs> think again. And then we were like, okay, well, we were really good friends with Johnny Pacino and his dad. And they were like, six, try 632 and then move up to Pro Stock, Pro Mountain Motor Pro Stock. And we're like, okay. So we started that opportunity. And then we kind of heard about Alex Laughlin selling his Pro Stock stuff. And it kind of just made sense to do the 500. What was it like moving from, you know, moving from a, a top dragster situation and then kind of getting into an alcohol car? Because, you know, you want a national event, those things, they're. They're a little bit of a different animal because those things just seem like they pull and pull and pull hard. Yeah, no, it's super cool. And they do pull and there's always something to do. And But they're so different. Like all the cars are so different that you're you're prepared, but you're not prepared. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, you know, it might have been, you know, maybe a good idea that your dad kind of steered you away from pro mod to a certain degree because those things are uh they're a whole different animal to drive versus you know a pro stock seems like it's you know nice classical music very refined and a pro mod is just a heavy metal concert with a blower on the front of it i mean yeah i mean there's plenty of pro mod cars that go up and down the racetrack really smoothly and good but it is more of a aggressive class yeah, it's in that front. So, so what's it been like, you know, when you're when you're going through the process of learning something new? What was it like learning to drive a pro stock car? Um, it wasn't. It was fun. Like I had really good teachers and people in my corner, so I enjoyed it a lot. Um, we were we spent a ton of time in Florida this past winter. Um, so it was actually really enjoyable for me um i mean i'm sure i drove my team crazy but i found it to be fun you know what was it like the first time you you know you got into the the pro stalker and the door shut and it was you know it was time to you know to do it for real what was that kind of experience like because i'm sure that was a little bit different even than the 632 car to a certain degree um I was nervous just because I didn't want to let anybody down, but at the same token, they we went over it a million times outside of the car, so there wouldn't be any, hey, um, there was no, like, I, it wasn't like I didn't know what to do. So, so it was a lot, like, just a lot of, for lack of better terms, a lot of intense training to make sure that once you were in the car, it was a lot of a muscle memory kind of deal? Yeah. Like I, we talked so, we all talked so much about it that like, if 
I didn't know what to do, it was because I didn't listen to anything that anybody was saying. Because the 632 car you drove, that was that was an NA car, wasn't it? Yes. All right. So it, it, it was intentional. Um, it was on purpose that it was an NA car because that we wanted to get ready for pro stock. Yeah, that, that's what I was kind of getting at there because that's it's it's quite a bit different driving an an NA car like that versus you know your your typical nitrous car or a lot of other door cars because you have to be so precise with a with a pro stock car kind of talk about what it was like learning the the precision side of that you know hitting shift points and nailing burnouts because that, that's a whole different deal than what I think a lot of people understand yeah it was a lot um don't get me wrong but it was when you surround yourself with the correct people it's not as complicated I guess is the best word maybe um I had the best teachers I could have had in 632 to pro stock like Johnny and his dad John Pacino they were patient with me taught me everything I needed to know because I had never driven even a stick shift car prior to 632 like I had no idea how to shift or use a clutch (laughs) Um, but they, they sat there and taught me how to do it and didn't get frustrated with me. And like, they, they did awesome with me and they made it fun and they, it was a really cool experience. And 632, like they made me as fast as I could be, even being one of the only NA cars in the class. (laughs) Um, but then even in pro stock, like Mike and Jim and Jamie and Tony and like, they prepared me for it better than I feel like anybody could have been prepared because we talked about all the steps and everything to do a million times before I did it. So it was, they made it pretty mess. Like they made it as easy as they could for me. And you guys brought in Jim Yates to kind of help guide you along too, which to me, that was it was cool to see Jim back because I remember watching him grow up, you know, when I was growing up watching him race pro stock and he always just was one of my favorites because of just how genuine he seemed. What was it like learning from someone like Jim Yates that is, you know, kind of a legend in the pro stock category? He's awesome. And so is his wife. Like, honestly, they're such a great family and their son as well. Jamie, he's part of our team as well. Um, it was super cool to be able to learn from him. And he, he made it as simple as he could for me. And he never, he never like, he understood everything, which was nice. Cause I could be like, Hey, I don't understand why this is happening. He's like, well, just explain it to me and I'll tell you. So like he understood the driving portion of it, which was really nice. And he also understood the tuning portion, obviously. Um, so it was cool to have somebody that understood everything. Yeah, it's it's good to have someone like that that's a, it's a good wrench and a tuner and a driver because they can help you understand what the car's doing a little bit more. And did that help you kind of learn to be able to give better feedback to the team when it came to tuning the car? Yes. Now, Absolutely. 
what was that experience like trying to learn how to tell people what a pro stalker is doing? Because again, that's, that's a lot different than the, you know, even different than the, the, the 632 car you drove. What, what was that like trying to learn to uh, express to the, to the team what the car was doing? It took some time and like, it took Jim has never worked with a girl um, driver. So like I would use different words to explain things. And he's like, dude, it's a race car, not a flower. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so like, it took us a little bit to get used to communicating about what the car was actually doing and everything but it was also really cool i think for him to have to learn how to communicate too yeah it's it's a little bit of a a a cross-cultural experience to say the least between the 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 age and when people have you know when you grew up his wife was the best for it like there'd be times where he we'd look at miss tony and she'd be like okay let's try that again (laughs) she's playing translator right so she was a huge part of it. And it was so funny because he'd say something and I'd be like, well, that was mean. And he's like, no, it wasn't. And Miss Tony would be like, um, let's try this again. <laughs> so like, it was, I think it was an adjustment for both. But like, I think, I think of them as family now. And like, they are, I could call Jim any time of the day, tell him, I need your help. And he'd be there. And same with Tony and everybody. And we're the same for them. So even though he probably was thought in his head a few times, what did I get myself into? I think he's happy with it now. Yeah, that it kind of plays back into what we were talking about. You know, when you when you jump on the tour full time, that it seems like it's going to be for, you know, it's fun to a certain degree, but it turns into a grind and a job. Did, did that kind of surprise you what it was like trying to, to knock out a full tour this year? Um, well, I made a joke at Pomona, too, this last race that um, we made. And we didn't even make a qualifying run yet. And I walked in the trailer and I was like, guess what, Jimbo? We made it. <laughs> and he was like, we haven't even made a qualifying run yet. I'm like, yeah, but we made it to Pomona. We didn't miss any races. We didn't miss any qualifying runs. Like we made it, and he just laughed at me. But it's like a marathon. Oh, it... and you don't realize it until you're in it. Because <laughs> when I originally, me and my dad sat down and figured out the schedule and all the testings and everything, I was like, "Oh, that'll be piece of cake. No, we, no worries." <laughs> well, I was sadly mistaken on that front. <laughs> Because, like, halfway through the season in the Western Swing, you're like, wow, this is actually a lot harder than I anticipated. <laughs> you don't realize it until you're in it. Yeah, I, I was going to say there was probably a Saturday at some point in the middle of the season where you're sitting there shell-shocked going, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be, but we'll just keep plugging along. Um, yeah. Like, there's no doubt. I was like, oh, my God, I think I want to go home for a little bit. <laughs> like, nobody talked to me. Nobody acknowledged my existence. Like, I just want to go home and nap. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. We're releasing my uh, 
my vlog from the NMCA finals when I had my race car out there. And at one point I legit forgot what day it was. And that was just, you know, a one weekend race that you just, you've got so much going on, so much you're trying to worry about, deal with the car and driving and when's my next qualifier and where am I at that you've just, the, the smallest details just seem to melt away and you kind of turn into a toddler almost. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, um, I like said it to my Mike, my engine guy yesterday. I was talking to him on the phone. I'm like, Oh, are you going to work tomorrow? You know, since like it's Wednesday and almost Thanksgiving, he's like, tomorrow's Tuesday. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I completely forgot what day it was. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing or when I was supposed to be doing it, but somehow I managed to get through the day. You you know, this kind of makes me think of an interesting question to ask you is that, you know, what's it like being a, I'll use air quotes, you know, being a professional drag racer that what do you do when you're not at the track? You know, I guess some people might think, you know, you just kind of sit in a glass case and they just break you out to go, you know, drive at the track, but there's a lot of stuff I'm guessing you got to do in between events and whatnot, even when it's not a short turnaround, you know, what's it like being a, a driver in one of these situations? What, what's, what's your, what's a typical week like? Um, well, usually if we had a race to go to, I'd go to the shop and help unload and see what the guys needed help with and make sure they were on track to get everything done. If they need help, I'll help them and jump in. But I usually have quite a lot of Zoom calls or emails to get back to or um, website stuff to update or um, more meetings for hopeful news partners and existing partners and paying all the bills that come in with having a pro team which they are still coming and the season is over just keep showing um, up yeah i talked to my dad yesterday i was like are the bills ever gonna quit coming because gosh there's a lot <laughs> um but like there's still a lot of stuff to do behind the scenes that maybe not a lot of people realize because a lot of people have team managers and like a full they have like a full working office behind them, but that's not how this team works. No, you're, 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 you're cooking your own lunch while you're getting ready for the next round, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We um, do do that. And that is quite the entertainment. If you ever get a chance to stop over and watch, it's me and my dad debating about what we're going to eat for lunch. And the guys are working on the car, starving, ready for the next round. <laughs> So, so, sounds that, that I guess that's the part of the uh, the experience when it comes to you know doing heads up racing across the board that people don't understand is the the little interactions and the things that go on because I've been there before I've been you know help out being the the chief cook bottle washer uh, bottle turner honor you know help turning the car around and do everything else that the simplest task sometimes on a race day can just uh, divulge in the madness in a hurry right oh yeah. It's definitely been, we've had some of those experiences and you're, you look back after and you're like, what the heck? What was that? And why did we do that? But it all works out in the end. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all part of the adventure and you know, you're having fun and it, it, it makes the, the bad parts kind of even out with the good parts when everything goes well. And the way that I've always looked at it is when I go to the track, everything outside in the outside world, all my problems, just they all melt away. And you're, you know, you're concentrating at the job at hand. 
is that really kind of even more intense when you're, you know, racing at the professional level? Yeah, that's kind of like you cannot let anything from the outside world, like, distract you from what you need to do. Like, you're there to do a job, and that's what – um in the beginning, it was a little hard for me to switch it from a hobby to a job. I was like, oh, I want to have fun, too. Like, let's all have fun. And Jim's like, stop. This is a job now. Yeah. He's like, you have got to switch it in your mind that you're not here to have fun. You're here to work. And I'm like, hmm. But he's right, because once you turn that switch, it helps you be a machine, and it helps you to make zero mistakes, and it helps you to be a better driver and be able to give the team better information so you can be faster. So it's, it's a really big learning curve to come from doing it as a hobby and fun to, okay, now this is a job and there's no room for mistakes. It's a lot like when people, you know, when I say people, when kids go from, you know, playing football in high school, all of a sudden the goal is, I, you know, I want to be a scholarship athlete they learn real quick that when you become a scholarship athlete at the collegiate level and the bigger the college, the bigger the deal is that it becomes your job. It's, you know, it's what you're there for and everything else is secondary and it changes how you have to approach everything you do. It really does. And that was like one of the biggest challenges in the beginning of the year for me, because like I said, I grew up at the racetrack hanging out with all my friends. Like after we were racing, we'd all hang out and, it's like a big happy family. Well, that's no longer how, like, you can't look at it that way anymore. It has to be a job, and uh, that changes everybody's outlook. And because all the guys that are there tuning your car, working on your car, it's their job. It's how they make their money, how they support their families, all of that. So you have to think of it the same way, or your team will not mesh. No, you, you have to but be we, have the winner mindset. And we started this deal with like a liftgate, tra- I think it was a 38 liftgate and our renegade motorhome. Like we loved our motorhome. And it was perfect for me and my dad and my papa. Like had two bathrooms, like we were good to go. Nobody got in each other's way. And we quickly realized you cannot run pro stock out of a sportsman trailer. No. Um, there's not enough room and everybody will be on top of each other. So we then switched to a coder home and i think it's a 51 foot i think competition and we realized okay this still does not work we need to get a tractor trailer and a 56 foot trailer like that is how you have to run a pro class so like we've had tons of learning pains and growing pains and everything this year and once you switch the mindset of, okay, this is a job, it really changes everything. And it's funny, you, you talk about the trailer stuff. It's those little things that, again, you, it's the, the higher up on the rung you go, you start to realize that you got to bring more crap with you to the track. And, you know, we, we ran a radial tire car out of a 26-foot trailer and, you know, Thankfully, we didn't break a lot of stuff. We had enough spares to get us, you know, to just deal with basic stuff. But the faster, it seems like the faster you go, it's just the more stuff you got to bring and the stuff you got to deal with, right? You're absolutely right. Like, it's crazy how much stuff you need and how many things you need. And um, we definitely learned that 
this year with like going through this will be our third trailer that we're in this year um because you don't realize how much stuff you need it's insane i'm like do we really need two chillers they're like do you want your engine to be cold i'm like well, yeah they're like all right then we need two chillers okay you, you, you have two and three of everything because you need a spare for the spare it's not a good thing like in the beginning of the year my guys would be like hey can we order this this and this and i'm like well we have that why do we have to get another one they're like you need a spare to the spare and i'm like guys no we don't need a spare to the spare you're getting excessive (laughs) i soon found out you need a spare to your spare to your spare yep and i'm like guys budget like let's stay they hate me for that because I'm like, guys, oh, there's a budget. Like, we cannot go over budget. And they're like, do you want to race or do you want to suck? I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Noted. No worries. That, that, that's a very good way to put it because it's, again, it's when you want to win at any level of heads up racing, you've honestly, you've got to really lean on parts. I mean, you got to be a good tuner, but you you have to be ready to break stuff to win that's just a that's a that's a stone cold hard fact absolutely and that like when they said oh we'll change engines in between rounds at times i'm like guys you're crazy like there's like an hour and a half between rounds how the heck are we going to change an engine 20 minutes later (laughs) and in denver we had to do it we didn't realize it was hurt until like 30 minutes being back and then we had to change it i'm like guys this is insane like we're not gonna make it we made it, but I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are great. <laughs> like, you don't realize what it takes until you're in it and doing it, and whatever everybody warned you about is not right. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane to me when you look at levels in the NHRA Pro categories that a lot of times it's, we'll just put, we'll replace it and we'll fix whatever it is later. doesn't matter whether it's pro stock pro mod or the nitro classes that, yeah, we could, we could fix this right now, but it's just going to save us time and be easier to just slap another short block or whole engine in it. And then we'll just, we'll deal with that when we have the proper tools and time. Right. That's a hundred percent. Right. Because in pro mod, you can put new pistons in, you can put new anything in the engine that's in the car. These cars are so different. You cannot fix them in the car. They come out, and that is the end of it. Yeah, it's it's back to that precision versus brute force when you look at like a, a pro mod versus a pro stock. Because the pro mod, it don't care. As long as it's got eight slugs in it, it's going to run. Just slap them in exactly. there. Exactly. Th- th- you know, maybe run a bo- you know a, a bore hone, a hone, uh, that, I don't know what I'm thinking, a ball hone from Harbor Freight in there to clean it up a little bit. It's good to go. It'll be happy. A pro stalker is like, it's the equivalent of rocket science. You have to be so precise with everything that you can't do a lot of that stuff at the track. No, you can't. And I've asked because I was used to pro mod. I'm like, well, the guys used to just switch it out in the car. Like, what's it matter? And Mike's like, that's not how pro stock works. Like, you can't just throw things together. Like, why do you have to be so aggressive? I'm like, I was just saying. Yeah. That's a very but good point. You're what, right. It's what, so perfect. Like, so it's like perfection. Like if you cannot have it perfect, don't do it because, and you better come to the track with more than one engine. 
Yeah, that's that, that's again what what always kind of fascinates me about pro stock is just the, the level of precision that goes into everything about the car and you know measuring tires using different tires for rollout and gear sets and changing all that between rounds it's it's so much more precise and less aggressive than the other heads up categories oh absolutely like there's not you cannot be aggressive in pro stock like that like in that form at least like you have to be easy on it not easy on it but you can't just throw it together and hope for the best you have to be calculated yes absolutely i remember times i'm like guys can't we just like throw a new piston in it they're like uh no yeah like that's not how this works at all i'm like okay sounds good (laughs) but honestly i'll give it to my team we did not hurt a lot of parts this year like we really they did a great job on that front yeah, it's it's funny that you know people typically when a nitro car hurts something, oh you know, like it's it's very obvious that something awful has happened with pro stock cars. It's so much more subtle most of the time when there's an issue, isn't it? Yes, like you can sometimes tell, but like there was a time in Topeka we had a swing an engine, and I think it was Topeka. There was only like two times this year. Like my guys did an amazing job keeping everything together. Um, I think it was Topeka. Nobody would have known. Like we ran a little bit off, but that could be for so many reasons that has, that could have nothing to do with the engine and you wouldn't know. Well, it, it comes down to, you have to have someone like a Jim Yates or someone else in there that's able to look at the data and look at something. And, you know, they look at the pan vac pressure and they see one little thing. They're like, I don't like that, but a new, you know, let's just put something else in there. Yank it out kind of deal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you started to kind of go through, you know, you, you've gone through your transformation, you start getting to the competition side of things what was it like your first, you know, your first round of eliminations at Pomona this year during the Winter Nationals when, you know, it when it got real? What was that like to come out, you know, and that whole day of doing driver intro and that 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 whole thing? It was definitely different. Like I definitely had to readjust, but it was it was cool to know that okay, we made it and we can do this. Cause we had already made like 60 something runs prior to Q1. So we we're pretty confident that we were going to be okay. And it's, it's gotta be a different kind of pressure when you are racing in one of the, you know, the big show classes, you know, when elimination start versus a sportsman class, right? Oh yeah. It's totally different. <laughs> um, but it's super cool and it is a little nerve wracking, but once, you start the car, you're pretty much fine. Yeah, it, it's interesting to hear different people's mindsets about how they approach a run. You know, how do you approach a pro stock run versus the other stuff you've you've raced? Did you have to change your, your, your pre-race ritual up? You know, is it just something different you have to prepare for? What What's that been like? Um, It's been, like, Jim always says, okay, now be calm. Like, <laughs> this is not a football team. So... It's been pretty well similar. I don't. I never really liked to get worked up like before runs, no matter what I raced. 
I've always kind of just gone up there and given it my best, and what happens, happens. And that's it's interesting to hear different racers' approaches because there's some people that they are on the chip, they're amped up, they're just wilding out, and then there's you know you see the other people where they just they're like that that calm serenity kind of deal. Is that is that how you approach racing, the the calm side of it? Yeah, there's no. I try to stay as calm as possible because you you kind of have to to be good. I've kind of found for myself that staying calm, whether is you you know you're crewing on a car, racing the car, it's always helped me deal with when things don't go right. That if you're amped up, that you just you're more opt to make a bad decision or not deal with something properly if you're totally on edge. Yeah, I agree. It's best to stay calm. You know, you, you kind of are able to be a little bit more clear because you look at, you know, how many times you've been in one of these cars where, you know, some something stupid mechanically happens and, you know, you can't get too worked up over what you throw out of your routine, right? Absolutely. And it's it, you see the people who do well and win on a regular basis that they kind of have that ability where when something happens – that's not supposed to happen. It doesn't rattle them at all. They just kind of it seems like they take that deep breath and they just continue to glide through the situation. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. It's better to stay calm than it is to get worked up. Did, did you have to deal with any uh, situations like that this year where the old uh, hot rod was not uh, doing what it was supposed to do and you had to uh, improvise, adapt and overcome? Yeah, that's definitely, you have to be able to do that in any class, not just pro stock. And the better you can do that, the better you'll be. Now, you know, Erica Enders is literally just, she's one of, the, when, when it's all said and done, she's probably going to be on that pantheon of greatest pro stock racers ever, in my opinion, just based on her driving ability and what she's done. And you got to race her a couple times this year. What, what was that like? Honestly, like, and this, might come out wrong or I'm not very good at being the politically correct person yet. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's a girl or a guy. It doesn't matter if it's her, Greg, Dallas, like you're still racing to win and you still need, no matter who you race in the category, you need to be the best you can be. So it doesn't really matter if it's her or somebody else. No, that that's, she is one of the best, but you have to go up there being your best, no matter who you're running. No, and that, that's honestly the best way I think to approach it. What I love about drag racing is the car doesn't care who's yanking on the steering wheel, whether a man, woman, meat, popsicle, whatever. It reacts to the person's ability inside the car. Absolutely. Now, looking back at this year, and you know, you, you, you scored the rookie of the year, looking forward to next year, what are your goals for next year? Um, we want to run for the championship and do the best we can possibly do. And you've almost, I've found personally that I like to kind of have stepped goals where it's, you know, at each event, you know, you want to think in your mind, you have to have that mindset, Hey, I'm going to win the event, but you have to kind of go into it as well, where you have to be realistic, where it's, you know, we got to qualify well, win rounds win the race is that kind of the mindset that y'all have at the pro level as well um we try to just focus one round at a time and just we 
really just focus on our car and our team and we need to make the best run we can make and hopefully we come out on the winning side of that. Now, I, I do have a question that I was watching the finals on NHRA.TV and before you were awarded rookie of the year, the car got a little upset at the top end and don't know what happened there. You pulled around and then the camera swung to your dad who was absolutely sprinting down the return road. Like, yes, full, I did see that. Full on Olympic sprint. Did he think something had happened? <laughs> What's the story behind that? I think he just got worried because the parachutes came out a little late and everything. So I think he was just worried and got the best of him. But he is honestly like the best girl dad. And my mom said too. But like my dad is like the best girl dad for racing. He will fix my hair for me. He will brush my hair for me. He will stick his hands in my helmet to get my hair out of my face. Like he he's pretty up there on like he doesn't care he'll do whatever he has tried to braid my hair a few times not quite on the professional level yet but he tries he hasn't perfected so doing is, battle braids yet no but he is he just got worried and concerned and sometimes when that happens you you just kind of got to run i guess that's what but i kind thankfully, of thankfully they picked him up because i'm not sure he could have made it yeah that, that that's that's the whole like it, it was fun watching it like i saw the car kind of get upset like that you go around there and then they panned to him running i'm like he probably thinks something happened and you know the crew got him and everything it was just it, it was funny because the announcers and everyone like no one was on the same page on what was happening on the broadcast no one was like talking about it it was just th those who kind of know racing were like oh he thinks something happened it was just kind of funny like the whole way it was portrayed and no one was trying to tell him hey everything's okay man yeah i'm not really sure why how that happened but it did <laughs> you know it, at least though he didn't like try to run down the track which i've seen people do like that's gonna you know it, we're talking, we'll, we'll say on most tracks, you're a half mile away. You're not going to get there super quick running down the track. You're just going to run into more issues. And especially when there's like fluid or something on the track, I've seen crew guys kind of take a nasty spill because they uh, decided that they want to try to run to their driver. I'm like, that's this isn't going to end well. And yep, you're on the ground. Yeah. Uh, he just did what he thought was best. I mean, I feel like you kind of want people to care that much. So oh. I was like, all right, buddy, you good? No, no, absolutely. That's, you know, you, you want him to be concerned about that more than anything. And, you know, what did he say to you when he got down there and, you know, you're on the stage with the trophy? You know, what, what was that moment like for you guys? He just asked what happened. That was all. Oh, no, no I was talking, you know, after the fact, you know, when, you know, you were up there and, you know, what was that like sharing that moment with your dad and, you know, holding that rookie or trying to hold that rookie of the year trophy? Cause I think it looked kind of heavy. It was cool. It was really awesome to have everybody there and be able to share that moment with them. Now I always kind of like to, to have some, some fun with my guests and, you know, as we get ready to close things out to ask some fun questions and for you, you know, you, you've raced a lot of different classes you, you know, it seems like you're up to race anything. What's the one class where if someone said, hey, we're going to, you know, here's a full ride, do whatever. Is there one class where you would say a hard pass? I don't want to try to drive or ride that. No, 
I mean, I feel like it's kind of stupid to turn down opportunities. So I would try it. I would try any class that was offered to me. And I feel like you have to give it a whole season before you can say, okay, yes, this is for me or no, this isn't. I like it brave. There, there's, it, it's funny. You talk to some drivers and they will flat tell you like, there's no way in hell I would drive a, a nitro car. I would not get, you know, behind the wheel of a pro mod. It, it's very interesting to hear the different takes on it. It's fun to see someone that's like, yeah, I'll, <laughs> toss me the keys. We'll see what I can do. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's kind of, in my opinion, not very smart to turn down opportunities and to be able to give it, a full shot you need to do it for a year i think awesome well i like to give my guests their opportunity to uh you know channel their energy on force and thank all their sponsors and tell people what's going on so uh i'll turn the floor over to you and you can thank you need to thank and tell people where they can learn more about your racing program all my partners are honestly the best power built tequila commissario bp Kings of Vapor, Wright Trailers, Jesse, Sand Hollers of America, Vibrant Performance, NGK. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody because it's usually, unfortunately, how it goes. You yep. have to read down my fire suit, but anybody that's been a part of the program, huge thank you to them, and hopefully we can do it for many more years. Read down the fire suit, always tell them, hey, go to the website or our Facebook page to see them all, right? Yes, absolutely. And where can people, you know, follow your program or what you got going on your website, social media? What do you have there? So Instagram, there's Crusoe Family Racing and then Camry Crusoe Motorsports. And then Camry one is more of my personal one, but also mostly racing, like 95% racing. And Facebook is Caruso Family Racing, and then the website is CamryCaruso.com. Awesome. Well, it was great to see or uh, talk to you, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you at PR here soon. Yep. Thank you so much. Have a great day.